Good morning. Our sermon passage this morning is from Colossians chapter 1. If you want to flip open your Bibles, I'll be starting at verse 9, reading through to verse 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good day, everyone. Great to see you. Ben Gray is my name, if we haven't met before. And uh, it's lovely to be able to gather together this morning and think about that prayer. And as Peter's already done for us, he's taken the, the words of that prayer into our own hearts and onto our own lips because we share the same family identity as this Colossian church through faith in the same Lord Jesus. What a great privilege that that is uh, for us Together Now, if you are a teenager, as we reflect on this prayer, I want you to come and talk to me afterwards about something that you've learnt tonight, that's the, this morning, that is different to Friday night. That's the challenge. Can't switch off just because you think you've already heard this passage before. Something different this morning compared to Friday night. That's the challenge for our teenagers. Uh, I wonder what you would say a full and powerful life looks like. Maybe you're giving a eulogy for someone, and that's an often used expression, isn't it? They lived a full life. What do we mean when we talk about living a full life? Is it the catalogue of achievements that make up a person's life? Is it a bank of experiences? Is it a network of relationships? What is it that defines the fullness of life? For the Colossian church, one of the issues that we run up against throughout this letter is that it seems that some false teachers had come into the community and they had made big calls and big promises. There is fullness, there is power, there is knowledge in something other or additional to Jesus. And so this letter is all about the Apostle Paul saying to this first century church, if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need for fullness, for power, for knowledge. If you have Jesus and God's Spirit, you have everything that you need for a full, for a fruitful, for a powerful Christian life. I wonder if you already believe that. If you have Jesus and God's Spirit, 
you have everything that you need for a full, fruitful and powerful Christian life. If we're to take this prayer into our hearts and onto our lips, then we need to believe that. In the midst of whatever experiences we face, in the midst of whatever challenges that we're dealing with. And so the challenge for us this morning is to see whether or not we believe that, that in Jesus and by God's Spirit we have everything that we need for a full, fruitful and powerful life. That's what I want us to see and we're going to just work through this prayer together. Pick it up with me at verse 9 where the Apostle continues on from last week where he had been giving thanks for the Colossians' faith in Jesus, love for all the people, the faith and love that springs from the hope that they have. And his prayer continues in verse 9, for this reason, because of that identity, because of the way the gospel's been at work in this Colossian church, for that reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Uh, Paul had been giving thanks for the Colossians because the gospel had been at work among them, just as it is throughout all the world. The gospel message of Jesus, His death and resurrection, that Jesus is Lord and Saviour, that has been ringing out throughout the world, that gospel is bearing fruit. The kind of fruit of bringing people to faith in Jesus and demonstrating love for all God's people. That kind of fruit is coming throughout all the world and just as the gospel is bearing fruit in all the world, so it will continue to bear fruit in their lives as they are built up in the knowledge of God's will. Paul isn't saying to them, you need something additional. I'm praying that God gives you something that you don't already have, but that God continues to fill you with what He's already given you. That's what He's going to say later on in the the kind of theme verse of the letter in chapter 2, verse 6, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so stay with Jesus... Stay with the knowledge of the gospel. Don't seek to add more things to that, but simply to grow up into Jesus. Having your knowledge of God's will continually strengthened and built up. Sometimes we think that knowledge um, can be a bad thing. It's the opposite of being spiritual. Sometimes that's what we're accused of of in the media sometimes, you know, being irrational Christians, people who have checked their brains at the door and believe something that's kind of contrary to evidence and contrary to experience and contrary to rationality. But Paul is crystal clear that being a Christian is thoroughly rational. It has to do with your mind. Your mind being reordered by God's Spirit to think His thoughts after Him, to know His will, His purposes 
for you and for his world in the Lord Jesus. And this isn't some secret knowledge, as the false teachers might want to suggest, that's only available to the elite few who can kind of go about the the elite processes of gaining knowledge. This isn't simply for the PhDs. This is each and every Christian believer who is to have their mind transformed by God's Word and Spirit and to grow in that knowledge. Sometimes we want to separate, just as sometimes people want to separate thinking from from feeling or spirituality from rationality. Sometimes we want to think, we, we want to separate the kind of bookish Christian from the activist Christian. I'm not really a reader. I don't go to Bible study. I'm more of a doer. I'm more interested in doing good things and living out the Christian life than than having the knowledge. The great Bible teacher Dick Lucas says, the only way for you to get to verse 10 in this passage is through verse 9. The only way to get to living the life that is worthy of the Lord and to please Him in every way is through the knowledge of His will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And so when we talk about books and have book tables and book clubs and reading things together, when we talk about listening to God's Word on the train with your your headphones in or reading the Bible day after day, when we have growth groups that study the Bible... It's not simply because we want to be intellectually rigorous. It's not because we, we think we're an elitist church with you know, high reading abilities. It's because the only way to live a life worthy of the Lord is through the knowledge of His will, through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. To constantly have our minds rearranged by God's order, by His priorities, by His Spirit. So that we can live a life that is worthy of the Lord. Knowledge is not an end in itself. Knowledge is a relational thing that you might know Him. That you might study God. That you might know what He loves so that you can love it too and know what he hates, so that you can hate it too and live a life that is worthy of the Lord. What an exalted thing that knowledge produces. True knowledge of God by his word and spirit that you might live a life worthy of the Lord. That someone looks at your life and says, that fits, that lines up with the life of Jesus. Not perfectly, but truly. That you might live a life worthy of Him and please Him in every way. Living life for the pleasure of the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You don't grow in your knowledge of God through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you can pass a test. 
The idea is not that you kind of grow in this knowledge so that you can climb a ladder or jump a hurdle. It's so that you might enjoy the pleasure of your heavenly Father. It's one of the great joys of my life as a parent. When you're there and you're watching your kids do whatever they're doing, swimming, jumping, playing basketball, playing tennis, playing baseball, dancing, receiving an award at at school. And you know, when they're looking to see if you're there and then they see you and you get to go and their face lights up, that their pleasure and your pleasure, that their joy and your joy are intertwined in the same experience. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul gives. Living a life not in order to gain God's favour or to earn His love, but because He's your loving Heavenly Father who's adopted you into His eternal family by His grace. For the joy of His pleasure. That you live a life worthy of Him, knowing that the face of your Heavenly Father is always turned towards you in love. That is where life and delight and joy is to be found. But Paul then doesn't leave us guessing of what it means to live a life worthy of Him and what it means to to please Him in every way. He he spells it out with four kind of um, extra sentences of what does this look like to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please Him in every way. You might want to throw that passage up, Jason. And you can see there's the four things there, bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power and giving joyful thanks. They're the four ways in which that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and to please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Just as the gospel's bearing fruit all over the world, so you will bear fruit, fruit that fits with the gospel. Bearing the kind of fruit that comes from knowing the truth of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And so if you know God's grace to you in Jesus his unmerited favour, his gift of eternal life and forgiveness, then you will bear the fruit of being gracious to other people, treating people better than they deserve. If you know the truth of God's forgiveness in Jesus, wretched sinner that you are, that he would take your sin and lay it on Jesus' shoulders as we've already sung, that he would wipe the slate clean and give you all Jesus' righteousness even as Jesus takes all your sin. You know that forgiveness, you will then bear the fruit of forgiving others, of letting go of grudges. If you know the truth through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives of Jesus' character of humility and gentleness, 
then you'll never be able to deal with people from the ivory tower of the pridefulness of your own heart. You will bear the fruit of humility and gentleness in your own life. Bearing fruit in every good work and secondly, growing in the knowledge of God. It's funny, isn't it? This is typical of Paul and the Christian life. He just keeps repeating the same things. Pray that you you grow in your knowledge of God and that you'll be growing in your knowledge of God. Because continuing to grow in the knowledge of God, like a tree planted by streams of water, with roots going deep into God's Word, His promises, His purposes, His wisdom, that you might grow and continue to bear fruit, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. I was reminded yesterday that it was the anniversary of the death of Lady Jane Grey. Remember her? Joss and I did a thing during lockdown one. It's a long time ago. Who can remember that? Lady Jane Grey, the nine-day queen. She's 16 when she died, something like that. She's locked away, facing execution the following day. What's on her mind? The riches, the sustaining power the presence of God, by His Word and Spirit, facing execution as a teenager, what does she ask for? Give me the Bible. Give me the Bible. Give me the Bible to feed and to sustain and to bring me even through the shadow of death by God's promise and His Spirit, being strengthened, thirdly, with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power of God's glorious might that He works in you by His Spirit. I wonder if you think about a Christian powerhouse. Someone who has that resurrection power running through their veins by God's Spirit. What does that person look like? Do you picture a person that's kind of achieving great things for God? A person with a huge platform and influence? A person with amazing charisma and a a knack for words, who can hold a crowd, who can heal the sick. What does that powerful Christian life look like? Being patient. And persevering. 
that is the powerful Christian life. Someone who is not quick-tempered but is long-suffering, like God is. Someone who endures difficult circumstances and is patient with difficult people. You know, I have in my notes, insert here, story of missionary or biographical legend or C.S. Lewis quote. (laughs) But here's the thing, right? This powerful Christian person is more likely an anonymous Christian that the world will never know and the books will never remember and the crowds will never gather to. This is the ordinary powerful Christian who perseveres through suffering, prayerfully entrusting themselves to their father who cares for them. The patient Christian who is long-suffering with other people who continues to be gentle and kind and forgiving and gracious. Why? Because they know God's grace and they know God's sovereignty, that he's in control and not them, that he's been kind to them and so they can be kind to others. Millions and millions of anonymous powerful Christians who endure through suffering and who are patient with people. That's what a powerful Christian life looks like. And to have that kind of power and that kind of knowledge and that kind of fruit, to live that kind of life, to be that kind of full in the end will mean that you overflow with joyful thanks because you know it's all of grace and you know the pleasure of your Father and you know that He is the one who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. There's a great warning that comes up in verse 18 of chapter 2. Not to let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Don't be disqualified by going after the additional things that you tack on to Jesus. Because you're not feeling full, you're not feeling powerful, you're not feeling knowledgeable. And so you feel like, yes, I have to go after something extra to add to my Christian experience. That disqualifies you, Paul says. Don't do that. Rather, come back. Come back to Him, the one who qualifies you. Not because you've jumped the hurdle or climbed the ladder, but He's qualified you because of the work of His Son on your behalf, because of His grace and His kindness to you. He's given you everything. You've got the inheritance of all things with His holy people in the kingdom of light. 
You've got everything. And so don't go looking for the additional thing to tack on to Jesus and so disqualify yourself. But simply give thanks that he is the one that qualifies you to belong to his people in his kingdom forever. And Paul can't help himself, he just keeps going. You know, overflowing with joyful thanks because he has rescued us, verse 13, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's brought you from the rule, the tyranny of sin and death in the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves, to enjoy him with his pleasure forever. And all of it's made possible because of the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness opens the way for every blessing and every possession and every fullness and all knowledge and power that you need for the Christian life. Friends, I long for each of us to take this prayer with our shared identity as God's adopted sons and daughters as this Colossian church. That in God's providence and by His Spirit, we can pray this prayer from our heart and with our lips. That we have fullness. That we might be fruitful that we have all the power we need to endure with patience. And the only way that we can pray it and mean it and for it to be true is if our sins are forgiven in and through the Lord Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need for a full, powerful and fruitful Christian life. And so I'm going to pray this and I hope that it's true for you too. Let's pray this prayer together. I'll pray. Our Father, we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that your spirit gives so that we may live a life that is worthy of you and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you and being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might that we might have great endurance and patience and that we might give you joyful thanks because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light because you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your son whom you love and in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. Amen.